Now, I've got a question uh, as we start off today. How many of you know someone, don't raise your hand, just think internally. How many of you know someone who has wrecked their life because of sexual sin? Just pause and think about it. How many of you know someone? Maybe you might be in here, you might be that someone. How many of you know someone that is struggling with pornography? that has maybe wrecked their marriage or you know they're addicted and it's like, man, it controls their life. You've seen how it's wrecking their very intimacy with their spouse or with other people. How many know someone that got pregnant before marriage? And the, the reality of that happening, and maybe you're in here and that's you, and what happens is you have a single parent raising a child by their self many times. And then the other consequence is you get pregnant before marriage and they go and have an abortion. And here's the tragedy with the abortion. Then you come to church and you feel like, man, you know, it, should I feel guilty and ashamed? No. Look, that's in the past. Here's what I love about God, that all we do is we say, God, please forgive me of my sin. And the Bible says he washes your sin as far as the east is from the west, which means, yeah, okay, I didn't know, but now I know. And it's like now you experience healing, but you still have some pain from a past wrong decision sexually. You know, think about someone who uh, got an STD on a one-night stand. That one-night stand didn't last for one night. What's, what, what happened in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas. Came back with you. I mean, think about it. The person who's promiscuous and then gets married says, hey, I'm just, I'm gonna get married. That's gonna fix it. How I many know that, that doesn't fix it? Now the consequences of past relationship and the trauma from all those past failed relationships that were totally inappropriate, now, because here's what we gotta be careful of, right? What we gotta be careful of is, I'm coming to church, that's just gonna, I, I'm gonna fix it all by just being here, and that's not the truth. Coming into church doesn't fix it. We've gotta change our life and our pattern and the way we live. We gotta be transformed into the likeness and into the image of God, and that's where we get the word of God and say, God, change me. Transform me. You think about someone who has had an affair in their marriage. Didn't plan on it. All of a sudden, they wake up and they realize they crossed a line that they never intended to cross. I mean, we all have been, here's what I would say, we've all been impacted by people's sexual sin. There was no margin in their morality. And that's what we understand is that, look, you're not going to sin sexually if you've got margin, if you've got distance, if you're not getting as close as you possibly can. Now, I also want you to hear this. If any of those situations that we talked about is you, I want you to know you're in a church that loves you, that cares for you. Nobody judges you. We don't care about your past. Here's what I love about our church. We are an oasis of love. And that's what I want you to hear. That the devil, he can try to shame you and condemn you. God doesn't do that. God loves you. But here's what God expects from us. Now, when we learn something new, we then implement what we've learned and we live our life different. Now, here's what I've noticed about working with people who have fallen into sexual sin and they've experienced some tragedy in their life because of it, is uh, they always say, I never thought it would happen to me. I never thought it would happen to me. I, I, I just didn't think that I would cross that line. And here's what I tell my staff, and I even tell my kids, and I tell myself, you're one step away from stupid. Oh, you write that down. She's like, huh. she, she's nudging, she's like, huh, you need to write that down. You're one step away from stupid. What am I saying? I'm just saying, listen, you think that you got more self-control than you actually do. You think you're stronger than you actually are. And a lot of times, it's not even you think. You just didn't think. 
and you got too close and you slipped up into something that you were not guarded against. And here's what I know. The devil wants to steal, kill, and to destroy your life, your marriage, your family, your future. And so I'm here to help us protect that. And that's really the heart of today. Look, if you have fallen into sexual immorality and sin, look, I'm going to help you not do it again. And for those of you that have never, my goal is that you never do. That we get to the end of our life, and as we get to the end of it, it says, we, we finish strong. We hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what today's going to do for us. It's going to give that margin morally. Now, we're going to define moral margin. So pull out your notes. I want you to take notes this morning. Uh, moral margin. This is our working definition today. Putting distance between you and temptation. Putting distance between you and temptation. That's moral margin. So distance. I need a buffer. Some of you have got a buffer. Today, what I hope to do is create more of a buffer. Some of you don't have a buffer. Today, we're going to create a buffer. And so we're creating a buffer between us and temptation. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does anyone tempt anyone, or nor does he tempt anyone. So think about it. When you're tempted, that's not God. He's not, he's not trying to tempt you. He doesn't tempt anyone. It says, but each one has been tempted when by his own evil desires. What he's saying there is every one of us have a propensity to certain sins. You know, some things that you have a propensity to that I don't. But there's something in you. And so when you're tempted, it's not God trying to say, oh, I'm going to tempt them. I'm going to see. No, no, no. There is a propensity to whatever you're being tempted by, and you're being tempted by your own evil desire. And then look what he goes. He continues. He says, he is dragged away and enticed. We're going to come back to that word. Dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, put the rest of that up there. There you go. When desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. death. So think about this. Sin has progression. There's conception, there's birth, and then there's a maturing of sin, and it f grows full. That's where you see people addicted. You didn't start addicted. You didn't start in that bondage. It started with conception. There was, you were enticed. You were enticed. Look at the word enticed. The Greek word actually means to entrap, allure, entice hook. So think about this. The enemy's trying to hook you. He's trying to hook you with the evil desire that's already within you. So, so it's like, that's why I say you're just one step away from stupid because it's already in us. Just because you're saved doesn't mean all of a sudden everything's gone. No, no, it's sanctification versus justification. Justified in a moment, sanctified over a lifetime. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So I got saved, but now I got to renew my mind. In other words, I've been living my whole life the wrong way. Now I got to say, God, what is your way? And then what happens is sin gets easier to say no to as I keep moving away from it. The further the gap, the easier it is. But some have been living so close to the sin line, it's really difficult. And then you find yourself having crossed lines that you never intended to cross. I mean, I've been in ministry now for quite some time, and I started in youth ministry. I was working with youth and young adults, and it was always fascinating to me. The question that you get with young people that are dating is, how far is too far? 
It's not like, hey, we, like, because, we, like, how far can I, can a French kiss? Can we hold hands? Can we cuddle? Can we snuggle? I mean, it's, it's like, hey, how close can I actually get to something before that something actually hurts me? I mean, when you think about this, this is, of course, such a childish mentality. I mean, you're not going to say, how close can I get to playing Russian roulette before I die? No, you're already probably going to die. I mean, you wouldn't walk up to a snake and say, whoo, there's a black mamba. Come on. Ooh, let me just get over it. Nah, come on. Let me play. Boot, kicking it. No, no. Why? Because you don't want to get bit. You're not an idiot. You don't go to the Brazos State Park and watch one of them alligators. Well, maybe you do, but I don't. You get over there. I always have a horror story. Like one of them alligators, the big brothers back here. It's like they, they're flocking on me. They're over there herding me in a pack, you know. It's like, no, you see an alligator, you run. You run. And yet when we see sin, we don't run. We see sin, we tell God, hey, God, how close can I? Well, that sin will kill you just like a snake or an alligator, Russian roulette. It's just as deadly. We just don't always see the consequence of it. Look at what God's perspective is. Look what he says, and, and we're talking specifically sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians six eighteen, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Now, that Greek word, when it says flee, is to run away, to shun, to escape, to distance oneself. Run away. So think about it. Sexual immorality, run. But how many times it's like sexual immorality, we just scroll. We just keep scrolling. We, we just get a little closer. And he said run. So he'd be like, drop the phone, run, forest, run. Yeah. I know I just split my congregation in half. Old people are like, I got you, forest. Young people, who's forest? Run. Run. Why? Because he knows that sexual immorality is something that will trap you and kill you and entice you and take you down before you even know it. Yeah. Now, notice what he doesn't say. Here's what, he doesn't say flee from overeating. I know gluttony is a sin. He doesn't say flee from gossip. That's a sin. You know, he, he says flee from sexual immorality. So we don't ask, how close can I get? That's not what the wise person says. The wise person says, I need to build moral margin so I stay away from this as far away as possible. And he's talking about the sexual temptation just because it's dangerous, it's devastating, it's destructive. Look at verse 18. All other sins a man commits, they're outside of the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And I know what you're thinking, because this is what I was thinking. Well, I thought all sins were the same. Now, all sin is sin. It all separates you from God, but not all sin has the same consequences. Like, there are certain sins, and the Bible pulls them out and clearly tells us, like on this, that the consequences are much greater. Let me, let me give you an example. You could tell a white lie today. You might have told one today. How are you doing? Fine. You just walked through. You just told a white lie. Come on, you came to church in the house of God, and you lied to somebody. <laughs> You didn't hurt nobody, but you sinned. <laughs> but you sinners. <laughs> I mean, think about it. So you could speed to church. I mean, sped to church. You're like, oh, it's 10 o'clock. Oh, it's 10 o'clock. Oh, okay. You sped to church, you know. Look, you get pulled over. I mean, it's a sin. Why? Because it says 35. But I got to tell you, man, I fall short in that sin often <laughs> until I get a ticket and I'm reminded. But you just pay the fine. You move on and you stop speeding if you want to stop paying fines, right? You gossip. I mean, you gossiped. You might have gossiped last night or this morning. You might have gossiped in the car. Honey, did you hear? That's a sin. It's a sin. But it doesn't have the same consequence. You might not have friends. You might not have people that like you. 
But that's a different kind of consequence. Think about sexual sin, though. Sexual sin, you can lose your job. Let one of those emails pop up in your spam at your job, and you click it, and you're canceled. It go. They're like, hey, can you come see us? Uh, you no longer work here. Come on, somebody. Tell me, I'm, come on. What about the cost in your marriage? Cost you your marriage. It could cost you having your kids grow up with their two parents. It can cost you your very life. You get the wrong kind of STD. Your self-esteem, your self-respect, you see the gravity of this sin, and yet here's what's the problem is that society acts like this sin is no problem at all. It's totally okay. Everybody's doing it. It's all good. Now, back in, when I was growing up, which I'm not that old, 45 years young, so just a few years older than some of you, but here's what I know. Back then, people had a moral compass so there was, a, there was a, a holding back of this reprobate mind of I can do anything. Like those things happen, but they didn't happen. In, but like people watch porn. Back then you didn't watch it. You flipped through a magazine back with it. You get a few little VHS tapes. But now it comes directly to your phone, whether you're asking for it or not. And instead of people fighting the temptation, we succumb to it and we say, oh, it's just normal. No, it's not normal. Never has been normal. And it needs to stop being normal in the church. It's the only way we're going to fight for this generation. You got to stand up for what God says. Otherwise, we're going to lose our kids. We're going to lose the future. We're going to lose our marriages and our families. We've got to say it is not right and we're not going to allow that to happen in our families. We're going to fight for our families. Look at verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Think about that. You were bought with a price. And I'm not talking to an unbeliever. You were bought with a price. But you haven't received the gift of salvation. If someone says, I'm not a follower of Jesus, look, I get it. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means he saved you. You were going to hell. God saved you. Now you're on your way to heaven. When you receive salvation, you exchanged your life for his life. And you said, now, look, I don't belong to myself. I surrender myself to him. So your body doesn't belong to you. You're a bondservant of Christ. That means he has the right to say, don't do it. And you say, I won't do it. You might not like it, might not agree with it. Doesn't matter if society says you can do it. I don't report to society. I serve almighty God. And I choose to surrender my life fully to him. And I get it. It's not something that people, even in church, listen, it's amazing to me how we could be called the church, but we don't act like the church. There are churches that don't even agree with this and preach. The, they're like, whatever. It doesn't matter. It does matter. We ought to be such a church that the Bible says is set apart that everybody says, oh, you go to Anchor Bend. I know what kind of a person goes to Anchor Bend. Sold out, radical. They don't compromise. They got margin in their life financially, margin morally. These guys live what they... See, I think the world would respect a church that actually lived what they believed. And we're so worried about trying to get them to respect. Just do what you say you're going to do. And I promise you that is so rare. They're going to say, well, at least they believe it. And here's the cool part. Not only do we believe it, but we walk in the power and authority of God, and you will see darkness being pushed back. See, culture says there's nothing wrong with sex before marriage. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. And, and here's the thing. You'd, you'd be hard-pressed to watch any movie, any show that has a couple having sex that's married. Nothing. 20 years ago, that would have been unheard of. 
20 years ago, it'd be taboo. It's like, no, we're not going to do it. Now you can't even find it. And this is what I was telling you. If we're not teaching this in church, what's not caught is taught. So you're not teaching it. The world is showing them that I can live and test drive intimacy. It's okay to have a sexual partner here and a sexual partner there. Why? Because we have a vacuum. There's nothing. Nobody's teaching morality. Think about porn. I'm telling you, there was a day, it was like people might have looked at it, but you didn't tell nobody you looked at it. It was like, oh, that kind of a person. Now, I'm telling you, it's popular. Everybody, it's like, oh, yeah, women looking at porn, guys looking at porn, and it's just like, it's okay. It's, it's what we do. You have all the comedians talking about it. They're talking about it because they know that they can't do anything about it, and the reason they cannot do anything about it is because it's not just a morality problem. It's a spiritual problem. You, it's hard-pressed to have morals if you don't have God in your life. And that's what I'm talking to you. We got God in our life. What's our excuse? We've got to say, God, it's not okay. We're going to gain back our moral compass and live the life God's called us to. Think about affairs. Affairs. Oh, it's not a big deal. You hear it. It's not a big deal. And it's glamorized. You don't even see the consequences. You don't see the devastation. I, I had somebody say, oh, it's okay. Just don't get caught. Oh, that's pervasive. Oh, just, just to make sure they don't find you. Everybody, here's what, everybody's having them. Here's a stat that'll shock you. Up to 65% of men, I read an article, 65% of men, 55% of women will commit adultery by the age of 40. Here's another staggering statistic that is revealed in this magazine. 20% of men and 15% of women will have an affair in their first year of marriage. That means 35% of marriages start off with an affair, and they think the number's closer to 50% because that's only the ones that reported having an affair. It's devastating. We've lost our moral compass. Reminds me of a joke that I read, the conversation between a pharmacist and a female customer. The female customer, the woman she went up, she said, uh, sir, I need to buy some arsenic. The pharmacist said, um, what do you need arsenic for? The woman said, I'm going to kill my husband. He said, what? She said, oh, absolutely. I'm going to kill my husband. He said, why are you going to kill your husband? He said, well, because he's having an affair with your wife. She, the pharmacist said, oh, why didn't you tell me you had a prescription? <laughs> kind of needed a little laugh right there. We was getting deep. She's just now getting it. So, it's all right. Hey, I just paused for you. I know you got to let it marinate a little. Got to let it marinate. People without moral margin. I'm going to challenge us today to live differently. I'm going to challenge us to create margin. I'm going to challenge you to live countercultural. Because what I'm going to share, I'm going to give you eight things in just a moment. It's countercultural. People don't live like this, but we're going to do it. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. A hint. Somebody give me a towel, Jared. I'm sweating up here. Turn that uh, air on for me, please. Look, we got a big new duck back there to try to keep me cold. I stopped wearing jackets because I was sweating so much. <laughs> I'd be soaking wet by the time I got done with the message. But look, he says, not even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, I want you to see the Greek word translated sexual immorality as pornea. Isn't that interesting? Throw that up there. The, the Greek word for, for morality, sexual immorality is pornea, pornea. So where, that's where we get the word porn from. So he's saying, look, there's not even to be a hint 
of sexual immorality. And, and so what we say sexual immorality, when you look at it, it's anything that arouses you sexually, anything. So that's a pretty vast, like, description. So, I mean, it, I don't know what, what arouses you, but that's what the Bible would say. You're not to even have a hint of it. So think about this. If you're scrolling and you pause because you're like, hmm, that's attractive, and it's someone of the opposite gender. How I many know that you got to you got to start to say, "Whoa," because what happens? Remember, listen, listen. Am I saying that you're sinning? No, but just remember, sin is conceived, then it's born, then it grows, and so here's what what you know. And, and everybody's susceptible. You you scroll, you're like, "Whoa," kind of. Have you ever felt like, "Whoa," then then you do it again, and it's like, "Oh." Okay, and it's less, and it's less, and it's less. And the next thing you know, you start to do decisions and make decisions based on something you wouldn't have done. Why? Because we didn't flee from sexual immorality. We allowed a hint of it in our life. And sexual immorality, this sin is different than other sins because it sticks to you, sticks with you. It's painful. It's emotional. It's a deeply spiritual thing, sexual uh, intimacy with people. It's very deeply spiritual. And so uh, he's challenging us. Look, don't even have a hint. In other words, don't let the world standards be your standard. So in other words, I'm not going to look at what the world is projecting as normal. In fact, we'll watch shows with my kids, and I constantly, hey, just like, that's not right. You got to know. I, I know we watched it. Ha ha, it was good. It was a funny show, but that's not right. We don't live that way. And my kids will even say, yeah, dad, they'll pause it and say things. And it's like, why? Because I'm going to teach my kids. That's not right. That's not the way we live our life. I'm not pulling me out of the world, but I am going to correct some things that my kids, they know that's just not right. It's not right. It's not right. So I'm going to challenge us. Here we go. I got eight suggestions that are going to help you build moral margin. I've never done eight. It's not going to take me as long as you think. I'm going to get after it, and here they are. Better places for us to draw the line to help us build moral margin. First thing, you've got to dress for spiritual success. Now, notice what I said here. Write that down. Dress for spiritual success. Because you could dress for success in the office one way, and you'd get a lot of attention. Come on, somebody. Woo, she looks good. Mm, man, he looks good. You know, there's a way to dress to get people to notice you. There's a way to dress to get people. And then there's a way to dress for spiritual success. Here's what I would say. When you go to work, I'm not working for that employer. I'm working for God himself. How would God want me to dress? Look, I want to dress nice. I got nice clothes. I want to look good. My wife always wants me to wear tighter clothes. And I'm like, no, baby, I'm not going to do it. I like a little bit of air in my outfits. I'll reserve that for the house. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, why? Because I don't want to be out there feeling like people are just looking at me. Not that I'm that fun. I'm just telling you, I do. <laughs> I'm good looking though. But do you understand? It's like, I don't want to be the talk of the town. I want God to be the talk of the town. I want somebody to say, man, you look good, but man, there's some kind of, we call it modesty. That's a, that's a word that's been lost in our culture. And I got girls, man, I'm telling you, and my boys are good looking boys. So I got to tell them sometimes, put your shirt on. I mean, I'm like, God, y'all are like models. Phyllis and I do a good job with our kids. And my girls, it's funny because we'll go shopping and literally there is nothing that is not without showing skin. I'm like, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. I'm like, my daughter is 10, 11, and you want them to wear this? Like, we have a rule, no skin policy. And if you're going to wear a skirt, we're probably going to put some leggings on it too. I'm just telling you, there ought to be something. And it's, is it difficult? Listen, I'm not telling you it's not difficult. But if you dress like a commodity, don't be surprised when people treat you like a commodity. 
You, you, here's what I, I hear people come to church and they want a different guy, but they keep fishing with the same bait. Whatever bait you use is the guy you're going to catch. Stop baiting your hook like you were at the club. And then you might find somebody that finds modesty attractive. I mean, wear whatever you want to wear at the house when you're married. I don't care. Don't tell me about it, but go have fun, do whatever. But when you're out, I'm just telling you, there's something to be said for dressing for spirit. Why? Because we're building moral margin. Second thing, keep four feet on the floor. I know that stumps somebody. They're like, Pastor, I got two feet. Yeah, you got two. And the person next to you has two. And if you'll both keep four feet on the floor. Now, if you're married, you take your feet off the floor. You do whatever you want to do. But I mean, when I'm single, it's hard to do something if all of our feet are on the floor. I can kiss you. Hey, turn toward me. Okay, I'll turn toward you. Don't pick my feet up. His feet, you start to cuddle. You're watching a movie. You say, hey, put your foot back on that floor, boy. <laughs> Don't cuddle too much. Well, it's just, it's a practical thing. It's what I tell my kids. Hey, four feet on the floor. Four on the floor, baby. Four on the floor. Why? Because again, we're building moral margin. Is there anything wrong with, you know, snuggling and cuddling? No, but listen, if your 16-year-old is trying to snuggle and cuddle, where do you go from there? I, I, I'm concerned about seeing kids so, so close, and I'm like, where do you go from? Look, look, they're teenagers. They can't even think straight. There's so many hormones exploding in and out of their body. It's like, my God, just help us. And then, look, young adults, married, it's everybody, four on the floor. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Third thing, look, no sleepovers or playing house. I'm telling you, just shooting straight today, just practical. Look, no staying the night at someone's house who's a friend who's of the opposite gender. Uh, We're just friends. That's how it always starts. Oh, we just comfort each other. It always starts that way. Look, and if you're dating, there's no reason for the person you're dating to ever stay the night. Stop using their toothbrush. Stop wearing their pajamas. You're like, oh, but it's good. We're safe. No, listen, you ought to be smart enough to not trust yourself. All it takes is one time for you to mess it up. You're one stupid decision away from stupid. And if you just constantly remind yourself of that, it's like, man, I'm not playing house. I will, as soon as you put a ring on it, baby, put a ring on it. I'll play house all day long. You'd have sleepovers all the time. Isn't it funny when you're single, you want sleepovers. When you're married, you're like, hey, scoot over. <laughs> Give me a little more room. We might need a, we might need a king bed. <laughs> so weird how it happens. Fourth thing. Avoid long, intimate kisses. Again, am I saying kissing is wrong? I'm not saying it's wrong. But man, you have a passionate kiss. Whew, and it lasts for a little. There's some things that awaken inside of you. You can't put that genie back in a bottle. You just don't want to go back. It's like, oh my gosh. So you have to truly say, remember, again, is any of this wrong? No. But what we are saying, stop laughing. I realized what I said. Hey, so what we've got to understand is this. We are trying to build moral margin, moral margin. And again, you know, it's like, man, I'm just not going to have long, passionate kisses with someone. I'm reminded of the story of me and Phyllis in the hot tub. I know we got so many new people. You just need to hear this because your pastor, this first lady, she is aggressive. And uh, we were dating. We dated her 15, 16. We broke up. We ended up becoming best friends. And then we're about early 20s, 2021. Uh, We got married. So we went from friendship all right, we're dating, broke up, friends, and then we literally just got engaged and seven months got married. And in between that time, we'd had other sexual relationships with other people. So when her and I came back together the second time, 
I told her, I said, look, I do not want to ruin this. I want us to stay pure. We were living for God. I'm like, I messed up with other people. I don't want to mess up with you. And she felt the same way. And so we did really good for a couple of months. Then we went to Granny's house. Come on, Granny, you're the culprit. She's right here on the front row. <laughs> Granny and Grandpa have always had a hot tub. Well, that's our tradition to get in the hot tub. So I told Phyllis to bring a swimsuit. And she said that I premeditated it. But what she doesn't say is that Granny also has a pool. So I was thinking swimming in the pool, but the opportunity arose for us to get into the hot tub. So we got in the hot tub unsupervised, and your pastor jumped me. <laughs> she just kissed me and would not let it go. And I'm like, cool. And you know, I didn't fight it. You know, she's, she's, she's so hot. I'm like, I'm so, mm. Well, I will tell you this. Was it wrong? Was it a sin? It might be. God may judge her later, but I'm just selling <laughs> It's not really fair. Today is not really fair. I know. It's not fair, babe. I know. I know. It's terrible. I'm sweating now. <laughs> but here's what I know. From that day on, we struggled with our purity. And that's the God's honest truth. We both had sexual encounters. From that moment on, it was really difficult. We made it to our marriage, our wedding day, barely, barely. And uh, what, what did I realize? We didn't have enough moral margin. And again, it, you, this is what we're building. We're building margin. Just mar I don't want to cross that line of something that can destroy my life. Number five, avoid dangerous places, wherever that would be. You know, if it's happy hour with the, the crew after work, look, I, I, I don't know what you do. I don't, I don't know what your company does, and I'm not opposed. I know certain businesses say, hey, we're going to happy hour. Cool, do it. But if that happy hour is your place of danger, you don't go. Because your boss would rather you healthy than in a place spiraling out of control because of your sexual improprieties. And I just think you got to be willing to say, well, maybe this job is not worth it. If they're telling me I have to go, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's overnight trips. Maybe that's a dangerous place. You get into the hotel, you're alone. Maybe it's late night on the computer. I don't know what it is, but you have got to avoid. Here's what you ought to have is a list of these are my danger places. And then you just vigilantly guard against going into those places. Sixth thing, monitor internet activity. Got to monitor your internet activity. Today, you know, again, there was a day where you, if you wanted porn, you actually had to go and get it at the grocery store and get it from the guy behind the counter. I know this generation knows nothing about that. But there was something safer about it, not safe, but safer, because you knew anybody could walk in at any time, and there was a certain sense of dignity. Like, I don't want nobody to see me buying that. Now this stuff comes to your phone and your computer, whether you want it or not. Honest to God, you get spammed, something happens. So what I've done is I've created an account with Covenant Eyes. So my whole family, all of us are on Covenant Eyes, and that's just a software that helps us on our phones, helps us on our computers, and it's just the reality of understanding the enemy is one step away from you in your home. You literally have them right there. And whether you've asked for it or not, you can fall into the temptation. And not only monitor your internet activity, you've got to get that accountability. Um, find someone that can hold you accountable. And that software does. You have these allies. It sends notifications. I mean, it's really awesome uh, to have people helping to look out, making sure that you're safe. And then I want to encourage you with this. With accountability, we're launching small groups in two weeks. 
there is nothing greater than having a group of people that you can be totally open and honest with. And if you're struggling in areas, you may not have to tell the whole group, but find someone in the group. Say, look, man, this is a place that is a danger place. This is where I struggle. Can you be the person that I call and text? I promise you that you're in a church that doesn't judge you. We love you. We're just happy that you're on this journey. And we're committed to going on the journey with you, but you have to join a group. You have to be a part of a community. And so we already have, I think, 26 groups online. Go to the website, anchorben.com backslash small groups. Find a group. We're going to launch with some rally days next couple of weeks. Find a tribe to live with. Amen? Okay, two more things. The seventh thing is avoid time alone with the wrong person. So wrong people. I'm not going to be alone with them. So look, don't get in a car with someone of the opposite sex. I have a policy, my staff, the church, you don't ride by yourself with anybody in the car that's of the opposite gender. I'm just not gonna do it. Too many intimate conversations can happen and we wanna flee from the appearance of evil. So we're gonna avoid all of that. Look, I wanna challenge you. You go on dates and, or you go, you're at work and you end up on a lunch date. Maybe you're married, he's married, but we gotta eat lunch together. I always decide to eat lunch together. No, 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 don't do that. It's so common, it blows my mind that, that someone who's not married to each other would say, well, coworkers, we're gonna go have lunch together. No, you need to add a few other people or you need to say, I'm picking up some Mickey D's. Like, I'm not putting myself, and it's so normal. Like, it's like, what's wrong with that? Oh, nothing, it's just me. So you just blame it on, I just, no, I'm not gonna do that. I mean, how many of you would feel good if you knew your spouse went out to eat with someone? You wouldn't. You trust them, you love them, but we're building the margin. Come on, somebody. Hey, and don't go on trips. I was going to say this too. In a day and age where businesses will send people on trips, like if it's just a guy and a girl going on a trip, take separate flights. Stay in different hotels. When I travel and it's something like that, I've had to do that in the past. We don't stay at the same hotel. I'm on a different flight. I've got somebody meeting me there. I'm just telling you that's how you safeguard your life. Well, that's extreme, Pastor. It is extreme. It is, and I'm asking us to be extreme. Your family is worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Your kids are worth fighting for. It is time for us to be extreme and say, I'm not gonna allow myself to be sucked in by sexual immorality. Again, it's the entice. It's just little. It's just a hook. We're not gonna do it. Last thing is guard your eyes, your mind, and your heart. Watch what you read. Don't read romance novels. Be real careful, like, like you're, you're igniting things. Look, magazines, Sports Illustrated, I, I get it, but man, they, you always end up getting the swimsuit edition and muscle mag. Look, I don't even read muscle magazines. Why? Because everybody's half naked. Does it make you wrong? No, but it's like, why? I'm just not going to do it. Don't read your wife's Victoria's Secret magazine secretly when she gets it in the mail. <laughs> right? I mean, watch what you watch. Just remember, tell the vision. That TV is telling you a vision. What vision are you putting into your heart and into your psyche and into your soul? And as we sit there with our kids, it's telling them what's normal and what's okay. And I'm just telling you, you gotta be careful. Netflix is, I mean, I used to love Netflix. And I'm like, there's nothing that you can watch hardly that doesn't have sex drug use, violence, and I'm just telling you, we've got to live different. If you get garbage in, garbage will come out. The Bible says, guard your heart above all things. It's the wellspring of life. 
Then guard your mind. Don't fantasize. Be real careful. Don't fantasize about past experiences. Don't fantasize about people. Like what thoughts come in your mind, here's what'll happen. You're like, well, but they don't even know or it's somebody that what'll happen is you will subconsciously start to make a way towards that person. That's why 2 Corinthians says in verse, chapter 10, verse five, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient unto Christ. Take captive I'm not going to allow my mind to dwell there. I know you got in a fight with your wife, but that person from the past is not better than that person you're married to, and the grass will be green wherever you focus watering it. So if we take just as much effort as we do fantasizing and put it into our marriage, I wonder what kind of a marriage we would have. I love what Job, today was Job 31 in the one-year Bible. If you don't read the one-year Bible, I want to encourage you. It gives you every day, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. It's fascinating. I've done it for over a decade. Every day I read the Bible. Today was Job 31. And Job made a statement. He said, he's talking to God about his grievances. He's lost everything. And then he's telling God, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman that I would not covet my neighbor's wife and I would not covet young girls. But I thought about that. How many of us have actually made a covenant with our eyes? I mean, that's intense. But that's how uh, uh, Job was just, I am not gonna do it. And I'm telling you, if we're gonna build moral margin in our lives, that's the intensity we have to, gotta make a covenant that I'm not gonna do these things. Make a covenant with my eyes. I mean, fathers, I got four kids. I want my daughters to say, my dad never looked at my friends. Well, by that mom, my dad's eyes are straight. He loves my mama. He'd never look anywhere else. And I'm telling you, I'm head over heels for Phyllis. The same thing, look, my sons, I want my sons to, we're walking out. I, I, look, everybody's, you gotta bounce. But the, but the more you bounce, the easier it gets. So dads, in, wouldn't, wouldn't you want the story of your son to be like, my dad never looked at girls, not when they're walking by, you're checking that girl up like this. Woo! And right behind, they see all that. The greatest testimony of my, my dad, I could tell you, my dad wasn't in uh, pastoring. He, I'm a first-generation pastor. He owned restaurants, so I'm a business guy. We were raised in restaurants. I just, I've always been a part of business. But one of the things, you know, restaurants, if you're in any type of restaurant, I mean, wait staff are a little, I mean, you know, it's a little cray-cray, the party culture, party scene, and it's a big restaurant, so all that's available. But my dad's whole life, I never, I never saw him look at a woman other than my mom. And when we walk by people, I never saw him. He's just the most modest and humble person in a culture where that is so abnormal. It's one of the greatest attributes. I just, I'm always like, dad was so good. He wasn't, he wasn't a pastor. He, he didn't even go to church that often because he was working the restaurant. But there was a moral compass and he loved God. It was like God touched him. He, never, he told me a day, he said, God, I don't think you're, you're real. He was driving down the road. Say, God, you don't even know my name. My dad said, he was driving. In the, the back of the car, he heard, Ron. He said, he pulled that car, freaked him out, pulled over, gave his life to Jesus right there. He said, God, I know you know my name. You know my name. And there was something about it. I don't know why I'm so emotional. I'm just telling you, I want my kids to say, man, we've finished strong. Not we got close to the line, we had moral margin. 